are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Thank you so much. So, I am, when I watched that video this weekend, Jeremy put it together, I was just thrilled and ecstatic to see all the different projects, because I didn't go around to all the projects that weekend. I got uh, to serve with my family, and the generosity of this church, like mentioned in the video, is just something that really moves me and stirs me and keeps me going. So thank you so much. So we've been talking about blisters and how to put our faith into action, and uh, many of you maybe on the Serve the Berg weekend found yourself getting a, a wee little blister, maybe, right? Okay, I know some people out at our project ended up getting a blister or two. And, uh, you know, when I thought about this year for what has happened in my life, I've gotten a few blisters and some cuts and scrapes and bruises. Because last year we purchased a house, and if you're an owner of a home, you know that, you know, when you rent, somebody else maybe does the work, right? The improvements. But when you own the home, that falls on you. So this summer, um, we've had the, the privilege of doing some things for our family. I built a fence, a privacy fence all around our uh, yard, nailed in each picket, hit my thumb at least 10 times. So it wasn't a blister. It was like, you know, the black thumbnail type of thing. Sorry to be too descriptive. But uh, just, yeah, James chapter 3, we talked about taming the tongue the other week. And uh, I heard that after... I did the, uh, the nailing of the pickets in, but it's all good. It's all good. I think everything's okay. No worries. Um, we also put, put up a little swimming pool for the kids and a little uh, deck around and moved some dirt from here to there and planted some grass seed and did all kinds of things to the yard. So the, the cool thing is that to be able to enjoy something with a family like that, there was a certain amount of work, blood, and sweat and tears that goes into the process of making that happen. And that's kind of what we're talking about with this Blisters Faith in Action sermon series. So as you are turning into your Bibles to James chapter 5, and those of you at the mills, the same as well, or those listening on podcast, let me just recap quickly where we have gone through this sermon series, James chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And today we are finishing the series in James chapter 5. James chapter 1, we learned about being hearers and doers of the word, caring for widows and orphans. James chapter 2, we talked about faith without deeds is dead. James chapter 3, as I alluded to, is taming the tongue. And uh, last week we talked about James chapter 4, living a life of humility. This week, I think that maybe as an act of punishment to me, I don't know what Pastor Bill has against me, but he has chosen James chapter 5. It's... um, a really kind of starts off very harsh and uh, very strong, and I've found it really kind of get me to my core as well. Um, there's three different sections of scripture that we're going to kind of walk through together today, and I want to lead us through that. But whenever I preach this message this morning, I want to guarantee you this one thing that I'm preaching to myself. The past few weeks, as I've, I've been uh, kind of pondering over and thinking about and figuring out how how it applies to my life so that I could write that down and just share with you, so that it may challenge you. I can say this for sure. James chapter 5 is something that has challenged me and will continue to challenge me in the days forward. I pray that it does the same for you. So, I have good news and I have some bad news for you today. So I'll ask you, 
How many of you want the bad news first and then end with the good news? And how many of you want to start with the good news and end with the bad news? All right, thank you, because I, I wrote this thinking that you wanted to start with the bad news first and end with the good news, so I don't have to rearrange that. The first little section of Scripture is, is kind of the, is, is pretty harsh. And I just want to read that together. Before I do, I want to say this, that Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return, and when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So those are the words of Jesus. Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, he put it this way. With great power comes... Great responsibility. Great responsibility. Everybody knows that, right? Okay, not, not everybody. Um, James, the brother of Jesus here in his, in his uh, writings, he gives us a stern warning against a self-centered view of wealth. So the first thing I want to talk about is, to whom much is given, much is required. Let's read James chapter 5, 1 through 6 together. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure that you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of Heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Like I said, it's pretty hard-hitting stuff. So the first question I have to ask is, who is James talking to here? And part of my research these past couple of weeks, I found something that was very interesting. Throughout the Bible, we talk about economic statuses of, of some people, groups. And uh, I, I ran across this, and I thought it was just perfect to try to figure out, who is James talking to? So I saw that there were four categories, generally speaking, of our economic statuses. Category number one is the godly rich. Those who have been given much, who have been blessed, who have great resource, and they follow Christ, they invest themselves into the kingdom of God for God's plan and for God's purposes. Category number two is the ungodly rich. And these are the people who have great wealth and resources and luxuries, but do not invest themselves fully into the kingdom of God for His plans and for His purposes. Even if they're Christians, they do not invest that part of their life, everything, into God's plans and purposes. Category number three is the godly poor. Those who have nothing, those who have very little, who rely on God, who trust on God, who cry out to God even. Even those who have been persecuted, that suffer trials because of their condition or maybe victims of injustice. And then category number four is the ungodly poor. The ungodly poor, again, are those who haven't been given the wealth and the resources, but they don't put Christ first. They don't center their lives on His kingdom and the principles of His kingdom. And even if you have nothing, you can have the wrong view of money. You can have a view of money that, that is evil, that the Bible says the money is the root of all evil. You can have a view of things, of stuff, 
Even if you have nothing where you will just claw and scratch to do whatever you can to acquire something. And I think that type of person would fit into category number four. So I ask, what category do we fall into? And before ever going on a mission trip, before hanging out with my friends here from Cambodia the past several weeks and being reminded again of this, sometimes it may be easy to think, uh, rich, poor. But in America, I think a lot more of us are rich than believe that we're rich. Because when you look around, when you look at the poorest of the poor, even, even in the States here, those who don't have a home, those who don't have a meal to put on the table every day, and you look across the world, and I've been to Cambodia three times and other places as well, our idea of poverty is a lot different. You know, that's, that's where the saying extreme poverty comes from. So whenever I think about it in those terms, I feel... Like maybe I belong in that rich category. And so many of us do. So then the next question is, are we God-centered? Are we self-centered? I think to a point we're all self-centered, right? And we fight that every day. So maybe for all of us, we can take James chapter 5, 1 through 6, and it can speak to us. Rather than saying, James chapter 5, 1 through 6, that's for somebody else, I don't need that. I'll move on to something that has a little bit better vibe to it. I can't do that with James chapter 5, 1 through 6. I can't help it that it pierces through my heart. I can't help it that God is speaking to me through this. Verses 2 through 3 says, Your wealth is rotting away. Your fine clothes are moth-eaten. Rags, your gold and silver are corroded. The wealth that you're counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you've hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Not pretty words. Like I said, I'm starting with the bad news first. And remember, I didn't write this. Okay? (laughs) So, let's keep the shield up. Um, Verses 2 through 3, that's a warning. To all of us, to anyone who hoards wealth, who hoards resources, who hoards stuff. And really the definition of hoarding something is just, I'm going to gather everything that I can. I'm going to keep it all right here and I'm going to hold on tight to it. And no, get away from it. No, you can't touch this. It's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. That is an example of hoarding wealth. You know, I don't need 10 cars. 10 cars would be sweet, but I don't need them. (laughs) Because I can only drive, what, two, me and my wife. Okay, maybe three, I don't know. Maybe I need a pickup truck, too, to haul the dirt from my yard. But there's a, there's a point somewhere. I don't know if it's three, two, one. I don't know what it is for you and your family. But there's a point where, okay, I just have one too many cars or ten too many cars. And meanwhile, the neighbor, maybe the, you see them walking everywhere because they don't have a vehicle. And hoarding our resources is saying... These are all mine. All mine. Um, I, I see nothing. I'm oblivious to the needs around me. I just have what I have. And, you know, there's a point to that, to that in all of us, I think, here in America. Land of, the, of opportunity. Land of the free. And we've been blessed. And we've been given much. 
Where it becomes wrong is when we hoard what we have for our own self-centered, self-indulgent, luxurious gain. So why do we need to hoard wealth beyond providing for our needs or for our family's needs? And it's okay to invest in the future and have security and things like that. That's not what James is talking about here. Wealth in and of itself is not wrong. But if the answer to why we collect what we collect and hold on to what we hold on to is because that we're either greedy or because we lack trust in a God who will provide what we need when we need it. And I don't feel like I'm a greedy person, but I do feel like I struggle with lacking that trust that God will supply what I need when I need it. Because I'm the type of person that likes to say, here's my plan. It's all on paper. It looks nice. It makes sense. And that's, that's how I'm going to live. It's all taken care of. I don't have to worry about a thing. Because I have a plan that makes sense. But life isn't like that, is it? Not for most of us. Most of us, the plan crumbles, and now you don't have a plan. And that's where we had to rely on trusting in God. And it's a struggle, isn't it? You know, whether I would love to open up my Citizens Bank app on my phone and see big numbers. (laughs) And always see big numbers. Okay? I don't want to open it up and see 0.00, and I certainly don't want to open it up and see something in parentheses. Okay? Um... Because I want to know that tomorrow is taken care of. Because I worked hard, I earned it, and I'm good. I'm good. My family's good. We're all good. But maybe that's not how it plays out. But when that becomes the center of my focus, take care of myself, take care of my family, make sure everything's okay, and we have everything that we need and want, then I feel like James chapter 5, 1 through 6, begins to carry a little bit more weight in my life. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And that is true. What we focus on, is it investing and hoarding for our own luxurious living? Or is it taking what God has given us to use it as a blessing to build his kingdom further? To give glory to God, not for our own self-indulgence. That's kind of what I took there from James chapter 5. Don't hoard what will soon become waste. Invest yourself for eternal dividends. Making the investment into the kingdom with your stuff, with your resources, with your whole self. That's just the first step, but it doesn't end there. And the news gets better. So that's the heavy part. And we move on. We can't just throw money, though, or resources at a problem. Rick Warren um, is a pastor of Saddleback Church out in California. I, I have been challenged by this phrase that he says... That we as the church, many times, we want to pay, pray, and stay out of the way. And sometimes that's true, because it's the easy thing to do, right? This next section of James chapter 5 talks about something called patience and endurance. 
Wherever you invest yourself for God's kingdom, be patient and endure. But our culture, we've lost the meaning of patience, right? And maybe that began with the invention of the microwave oven. I don't know. I'll tell you this. This morning I woke up. I did not cook eggs and have an omelet and have this nice wholesome breakfast. I grabbed a pack of Pop-Tarts out of the counter. And I didn't even put them in the toaster because I didn't have time and I was too impatient. I just wanted to get here and get my stuff together. So I'm eating cold Pop-Tarts. That's just an example of impatience in, in our lives. It's convenience, right? Um, when, when the problem here is that when we sit around and have nothing to do, there's no, re- there's no patience required for that. That's just called boredom. Um, let's read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12 together. Let's put it up there. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For, the, for look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. So, this first section of this scripture talks about the harvest. Now, I think about myself. I do not have a green thumb, okay? I have a black thumb. Anything that is living plant that I touch ends up dying. I don't know why. It's, it's a travesty. But this year, we moved a lot of dirt around our yard, did some landscaping, threw some seed on the ground, and grass is supposed to come up, right? It, it has in spots, and then other spots remain empty. So I've learned some, I've learned some things. I'm taking a look at, at what James is saying here as far as the harvest. Be patient and endure, okay? Well, if we invest ourselves like we talked about in the first section here, If we invest ourselves and our resources into the kingdom of God, then we just let it go and have a seat and just watch it unfold. To me, that's not having patience and endurance. Nor do we do that if we are planting a harvest. The first thing we have to do is we have to prepare the soil. Once the soil is prepared, we have to scatter the seed. Once we scatter the seed, we need to tend to whatever it is that we're harvesting. We've got to add the water, make sure that it's well cared for, keep it out of the sun if we need to, pull the weeds, keep animals and varmints out of our garden so that they don't eat all the produce. And then whenever the harvest comes ripe, we have to go out and pick it and do all that good stuff. Okay? So, I'm not a farmer. I'm not good at planting grass seeds. So we, we throw the seed down and I forget to buy one of those uh, seed germination blankets to lay down, okay? So I'm looking out the back door. I see these birds eating the seeds. And I don't like that. It doesn't make me very happy. So I open up the back door, let the dog out, so she chases the birds away. That's my remedy. Um, but still, so half the seeds are missing because the birds came and took them away. 
Then I forget to water it sometimes. Now, when we're out in the yard, it's cool because I remember. I grab the hose. I, I know this. Don't water it in the middle of the day. The sun's too hot. It's bad for it. Okay? Somebody told me that, I think. Um, but so at night, I, I, water the, I water the seed so that it grows and everything. And then we do have some grass coming up. And also, somebody just told me after service, first service, they're like, yeah, you're not supposed to plant grass seed in the summer. I said, I know. But I had big dirt spots in my yard. Am I supposed to like let that go to the fall? You know, so don't judge me. I just I had dirt. I want grass there. I'll replant more seed in the fall. Yes, oh, I'm learning as we go. And if there's any other help you can provide, thank you. But this is what I learned. It's hard work. It's hard work to to produce a harvest. And so it is with our faith. When we invest ourselves into the kingdom of God, we don't just sit down. We don't do what Rick Warren said and pay, pray, stay out of the way. We get actively engaged in the process. Because sitting around is not having patience and endurance. It's boredom. Sitting there watching paint dry doesn't require any patience. It requires time and two thumbs to twiddle while you sit there. Patience and endurance is for somebody who is toiling, who is working the process, who is getting involved in whatever that is. For the farmer, it's going out daily and making sure that he or she invests their time and energy into producing a wonderful crop. Because yes, seeds will germinate, roots will grow, the plant will spring up out of the ground and and fruit will grow, but not if we ignore it and just leave it. The weeds will come and choke the plant's life out. The birds will come and there won't be a dog to chase them away in every yard. Okay? Because we have to get involved. And that's what James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, tells me. That we have to remain actively engaged in the work that God has called us to do. Not just us as a church, but us. Each one of us sitting here today, each one of us at the mills, each one of us listening to this podcast has a call on our life. We have a purpose for being here. God has plans for us. And we know this. And those plans aren't to sit around and be bored. Life is but a vapor. It is short. And we have much to do. But then there's those who are hardworking, who toil and toil and toil, and then succumb to the exhaustion and burn out. Those who have worked hard into the kingdom. But you may be sitting here today saying, yeah, you're not preaching to me, man, but I am exhausted. I'm tired. And I've been there too. I've been both both ends of it. For those people, what you want me to say is rest. But I will not say that because that's not what James says. Even through the seasons of suffering, even through trials and tribulations, even through the darkest of times, through exhausting work, through lack of resources, and when it doesn't seem like there could be a way to carry on, even then, We are asked to endure, to have endurance, not just patience, but to endure, to carry on 
rather than give up. To stand up and stand firm rather than slink back and sit down and chill. God will provide everything that we need to accomplish His plans and purposes for our lives. That's a guarantee. That's a promise found all throughout the Scripture. The Bible is a book of God's faithfulness. It is story after story after story, example after example of how God provided at just the right time when people put their faith and trust in Him. And when I was thinking about this a couple years ago, in one of those seasons of exhaustion and weariness, our student ministries pastor, Donnie Marsh, showed me a poem from a man named Greg Steyer. And it was very inspiring to me. And it filled me up once again. And it allowed me to stand. And this poem is called Stand at Your Post. And I want to inspire you today as well as I read this together. When you are tired and weary, stand your post. When others tell you to quit, stand your post. When Satan tries to get you to buy his lies, stand your post. Stand it in the driving rain, in the blazing sun, in the freezing cold. Stand it at high noon, midday, and low tide. Stand it when everyone else runs, walks, or slinks away from theirs. If you're a youth leader, lead. If you're a roofer, roof. If you're a lawyer, litigate. If you're a Bible professor, exegete. If you're a mom, parent. If you're a reverend, pastor. Whatever God has called you to do for this moment in time, stand your post. When others whisper that it's time to leave, don't acquiesce. If they yell the same message, refuse to budge or bolt. And when they ostracize, criticize, and minimize, don't even twitch. Stand at full attention to the task God has called you to accomplish in this moment of time, on this occasion, for His maximum glory. If you don't understand why, just take comfort that He does. Stand until your commander releases you, until he appoints you a new post, or takes you to your last and lasting one by his side. And on that day, you stand before him when you look into his blazing eyes of love. He'll whisper, at ease, well done, and turn to my rest. But until that day, stand your post. Mm. That's inspiring. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14 says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Edmund Burke says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. So I'm challenged by this, as I'm sure you are. If you've been distracted from the marching orders that God has given you, I challenge you, realign yourself. If you've grown weary and tired and exhausted, hang in there and trust that God will provide what you need. So we invest ourselves fully into the kingdom of God, not for our own selfish indulgence or self-centered motives, but we invest ourselves, everything, into His plan, into His kingdom, His purposes, we get actively involved in the process. We have patience. We endure. 
Finally, this, this last section that closes out the book of James is about us not only as individuals, but as the whole body of Christ, the church. We are a part of the whole. You know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the body of Christ is Christ is the head, and we are the body that each one of us has a different role. Each one of us is a different part of the body. There's no part that's more significant than the other. Every part is needed for it to work the way that it's supposed to. And this is an example that the Apostle Paul gives us in that book. While we continue to invest ourselves and remain active in our faith, the church, the body of Christ, needs to continue being the body of Christ until the day that he comes and calls us to heaven with him for his own. Bill Hybels, a church leader out of Willow Creek Community Church, he says this quite often, the local church is the hope of the world. Jesus says that we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. James chapter 5, 13 through 20. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if something among you, someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. The first several verses of this section talks about the church being the church. It's what we do when we come together every week in small groups and large group fellowship. It's the importance of prayer, the importance of worshiping together, of anointing, of confession, of forgiveness. And we have to continue doing what we do as a church, as a body. Not only for those inside the church, but for those outside. And that's how he ends the book. He talks about taking the gospel out. He talks about seeing that the least, the last, and the lost would come home and know that they have a Savior in Jesus Christ. And that's what we as a church are called to do. All those things. The vertical relationship, the horizontal relationship with others. That is what he has called us as individuals, as families, and as a church family to do. No matter what our responsibility, no matter what our calling on our life to advance his kingdom, we are part of the church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of Riverside Church. The church needs to be the church until God returns. I pray that, as, that God will direct you. He's been working in my heart. Today I share with you just a piece of that. But I pray that you wouldn't leave this place today with already being spoken to through the whispers of God. I pray that in these days and weeks to follow, that he will continue to whisper to you. That you won't take James chapter 5, set it on a shelf and walk away and say, that's not for me, not in this season of my life. I would challenge you that James chapter 5 is very important to each one of us. That we can all draw something very deep out of it. That it could be life-changing. That it could be goal-changing, dream-changing. 
that maybe you thought you were heading in this direction, but God wants to speak to you through James chapter 5, and now he wants you to head in this direction. Because this may make sense, but this is his plan for your life. That's what I pray for all of us, myself included. As you ponder on James chapter 5 in these next days and weeks, I want to say that there are so many opportunities that this church has come together to provide. There's different ministries that you could get involved in, different projects that you can invest yourself into. There's so much happening. And today we, we saw a couple of those things. And I'm so proud of this church. In the 13 plus years that I've been here, I've been so excited to see how God has taken this church from here to here. And He is not done. It's not even close. It's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that He has for this body to accomplish for His glory. But you guys are awesome. We have already done so much for His glory. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. And we watched that video a little bit earlier about Justice Ministries. You know, Gary and Laura, these are people that sat in the same chairs that you're sitting in. And one day, a light switch got flipped in their life. And they said, I have this burden. I have to do something about it. They came to the church leadership, said, how can we get involved? This is our heart. This is our hurt burden. This is what we feel God is speaking to us. What we do is try to empower that, try to provide resource to that. We want to see that burden that Gary and Laura has. We can't carry every single burden as a small leadership team. That's what the church is about. The gardening initiatives that we started this past year, that started from a girl named Linda Tursky who sits in our congregation and Rick Rosenberger who you've seen lately. A couple years ago, he, he came to us and said, I want to get more involved. I have these burdens in my heart. And so we started getting some of these people together and formed what we call a hope team. And that's just one example of it doesn't matter what part of the body that you serve. You have an important function. And if this body is to function the right way, we want to make sure that however God is speaking to you, that this church would operate together. Let's do this together. We're in this together. We are the church. Let's be the church. I pray God will rock your world in the weeks and months ahead. And that something, that light switch in your heart and your life will flip too. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, thank you so much for rocking my world these past couple of weeks as I've digested this scripture in James chapter 5. I know, Lord, that you are calling me personally and my family to different levels, to new levels. I pray the same for each person in the sound of my voice. God, I pray that all of us would be challenged by the writings of James, not only James chapter 5, but all the weeks that we've heard throughout this book. Challenge all of us, God, to put our faith into action. When we grow weary, I pray that you would give us strength. Help us to be patient and endure. And help this church body continue to be the body of Christ that you have called it to be. As we offer ourselves to you, every part of us, all of it, God, we lift it up. We lay it at your feet as our living sacrifice, our act of worship. Through your son Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.